pray. Heavenly Father, we are we are so weak and beggarly as we stand here before you and in worship of you. And the songs that we have sang as as well and worthy as they are, they pale in comparison to that which you so richly deserve. And we are human beings who try to muster up enough, enough faith and submission as to for you to think worthy of your attention to us this morning. And Heavenly Father, while we know that we cannot obligate you in any way, we are so thankful that you have obligated yourself to us. In the name of Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so we come before you this morning in a worshipful attitude and manner in that same name and for all that he has done for us. So we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Please go with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. I have titled... My outline this morning, the hope of Naaman's cleansing. The hope of Naaman's cleansing. As you are turning to 2 Kings chapter 5, let me give you a few words of introduction this morning. Sickness and pain is a great motivator to cause the sufferer to seek Medical help. Some months ago, the woman whom I loved dearly was under a great deal of back pains. But because of the exquisiteness of the pain and because it was ever constant and without any relief, we came to the conclusion that the only way that we could treat that at the present time was to agree to a surgical procedure. And the surgical procedure proved somewhat profitable, and yet many things are still remain. But whenever a human being is especially undergoing pain, and debility and the potentiality for death, that person will go to the extremes in order to seek some relief. Often we consult unconventional sources, do we not? Holistic treatments and self-medications. Some of these are really genuine quackeries. And other methods that we consult are downright and outright dangerous to our health and to our very lives. And sadly, we as human beings, too often the Lord God is the last source that we seek. 
God is either ignored altogether for other religious forms, at least in the religious world, the spiritual realm, or we just approach Him wrongfully and inappropriately, and we demand that God obligate Himself to us when we have no right to demand God of anything. God is God. God does what God wants. Too often we seek counselors for our personal problems, or we seek medical doctors for our physical problems, or we seek psychologists for our mental problems, when the most simple solution is, first of all, seeking unto God Almighty. Nahum was such a man who finally, and out of necessity, he followed the Lord's prescription for his leprosy. Let's read some verses in here. In 2 Kings chapter 5, I want to begin with verse number 1. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master, and listened to all of the great accolades regarding Naaman. He was a great master, he was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. If you're reading from the King James translation, you'll notice that the expression but he was is placed there appropriately, rightly, and correctly by the translators to complete the thought and for clarity. We could literally read it, he was also a mighty man in valor, a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. She was the slave of Naaman's wife, and every whim and wish of Naaman's wife was her command. And she said unto her mistress, the little maid, said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, <laughs> for he would recover him of his leprosy. One went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the little maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. I believe that this king of Israel is Jehoram, Ahab, and Jezebel's son. So you can just imagine what kind of man this king of Israel was. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is coming to thee, behold, I have sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that you may recover him out of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes. 
and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Why, wherefore consider, let him come now to me, and he shall know, I'm sorry, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. Now let's look in verse number 8. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you rent your clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a servant unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth, and sent away, and went away, and said, Behold, I thought that he will surely come out to me, and stand, and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and recover the leper. Naaman wanted a, a sensational healing. Are not Abana, Naaman is continuing his, his talk, are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters in Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much rather then, when he said unto you, Wash and be clean. Then went Naaman down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Let's examine the person of Naaman. Who was Naaman? Verse number 1 tells us a lot about Naaman. He was Israel's enemy. He was Syria's warlord. And Syria was a nation who had a seething hatred toward Israel and bands of the Syrian armies would invade Israel on occasion and they would kill and capture and enslave the Israelites. And this is exactly the reason why that this little maid is now serving Naaman's wife. She was in the wrong place at the wrong time and she did not realize of the danger of where she was and what she was doing. And she was captured in that situation and she was taken by Naaman personally and made her a slave to Naaman's wife. So he was Israel's enemy. But we also read in that verse, but he was a leper. I love to read the meanings of 
proper names in Scripture. Because Jewish mamas and daddies would name their children purposefully and by design. And many times, Jewish daddies and mamas would name their child based on what God said to name that child. And we understand, I don't know if if this is exactly what Syrian daddies and mamas did, but it is interesting that the proper name Naaman means pleasantness. And there was nothing pleasant about Naaman, about his person, and about his character, and about his reputation, especially if you were Naaman's enemy. And it is especially true concerning Naaman's health, because Naaman was a leper. The the disease of leprosy is a grave disease. It is a disease that many times takes years to kill its victim. And oftentimes those years are fraught with extreme disabilities and numbness and skin breakdowns and and, and, and all of the things that we can think about in that, that, that a human body could suffer. It was a grave disease, but especially for a military commander. And despite all of his qualities, remember he was commander-in-chief. He was a great man. He was honorable. He was a mighty man in valor. But in spite of all his qualities... Naaman was a leper. Can we compare that with the moral depravity in the spiritual nature of the unsaved and the unredeemed? And regardless of man may think about another man or woman, if that person does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, They do not have the imputed holiness of Jesus Christ in in that person. That person is a spiritual leper. Leprosy is a disease which degenerates the skin, tissues, and the nerves. And spiritual leprosy will do the same thing to the spiritual, to the spirituality of a man. I remember in 1974 and 1975 when I was stationed at Utapau, Thailand on the Gulf of Siam. That every now and then I would take a little trip down to one of the neighborhood cities off from the base. And, and one of the sites that I, that I am so struck with even today is a sight of seeing a particular person who was laid out, many times stretched out, on some sort of blanket there on the pavement. This man was a leper. And to behold this man as he is sitting there in his want, and who is literally at the mercy and the kindness of anyone who walks by who is willing to donate a a little something for this man to possibly get his next meal. 
And I was looking at all of the open sores on this man and looking at, at, at his hands and his fingers where many of them were reabsorbing into his body or had literally fallen off. And I would think about all of the flies and the insects that were attracted to such, such physical depravities of that. I couldn't think of a person who could, who could experience something any worse than that. But I'm telling you, church, that whenever a man knows not Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior in the spiritual sense of it all, he is exactly like that man laying there in all of his sores and depravities. The Bible says that the leper... In Leviticus chapter 13, that the leper had to warn those whom he came, came in contact with. And whenever someone was to inadvertently and, and ignorantly was to approach this man, that this man, this leper, was to cry out, Unclean! Unclean! Those who were approaching him would know that this is one of the most debased types of people, humanly speaking, as far as the physical health is concerned. And he was to avoid him at all cost. But in the spiritual realm, leprosy symbolizes the unsaved spiritual condition of a person. Whatever man's status is with man, God sees the unredeemed as leprous. Can I go over into Isaiah chapter 1 and verse number 6 where Jehovah God is not actually addressing Israel as a spiritual leper, but He certainly gives the right description of Israel. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness or health in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying, meaning rotting sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified, meaning soothed with infant. The unredeemed cry unclean, unclean by their lifestyles. And as Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, the sinner is dead in his trespasses and sins. That word dead comes from the Greek word necros. And a necrotic skin is a, is a dead corpse that is in the process of rotting. And that is exactly the spiritual condition of the unredeemed man. Humanly speaking, Naaman had no hope. But in reality, not all... <laughs> was hopeless. I have said this from the pulpit in the past. May I say it again because it applies in this situation. Do not apply the secular definition to the word hope as it occurs in spiritual matters. If In, 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 my, in my estimation... There are many things that I hope for. I know that I do not have the power to just click my fingers and those things come into reality. But I want them to happen 
So therefore, I, 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 I behave and act in such a manner, and I manipulate my resources and my time and my money sometimes, and I do everything that I can to manipulate that thing into reality. In reality, it may happen and it may not. Most of the time, it does not. That is not the, the situation and the definition and description of hope as it applies in the spiritual realm when Jehovah God is involved. Here the word hope means a sure, guaranteed future reality for which saints wait for with eager anticipation because God has promised and secures its fulfillment. Can we actually say this, that the word hope, we can use it in the prophetic perfect tense. Prophetic perfect tense means this, is that it has not happened, but we can talk about it has already happened. And buddy, whenever Jehovah God promises that thing, then that is hope for sure. Let's look at our first main point. Naaman had no hope in himself. He had no hope in his authoritarian rank. Naaman was the captain of the host, meaning the armies <clears throat> of the king of Syria, Israel's enemies. And yet he was the commander-in-chief. In the military realm, there was no superior to Naaman. He was the highest that he could go. And yet, with all of that authority at his disposal, Naaman could not command his leprosy to go away. He had no hope in his authoritarian rank. He had no hope in his personal attributes, neither. Naaman was a great man. He was highly valued. He was highly successful. Naaman was a national treasure in Syria. And yet with all of that, he could not wish his leprosy away. He was an honorable man. He earned great respect. He was a principled man. God gave him the victories, and yet Naaman received the credit. And with all of that, Naaman could not wish his leprosy away. Scriptures say he was a mighty man in valor. Few equaled his courage. I would imagine that Naaman did not send his troops into battle. Naaman led his troops into battle. He was out front. He earned the highest respect from his armies. He also had no hope in his military victories. He led the Syrian armies to victories. The Bible says that by Naaman, the Lord gave deliverance to Syria. <clears throat> While Naaman claimed all the credit, in reality it was God who gave victories to the Syrian armies. Can we look at the significances of Naaman's military successes? 
That is that Jehovah is not a mere local deity. In the superstitions of, these, of, the, of this age, Syria had their own gods. And all of the other nations, they had their own little pet gods. And, they were, and the armies were always vying against one another. And the victor was always credited to the god of that particular nation. That's the reason why when you go over into 1 Kings chapter 20, the Bible says that Syria was having some trouble with Israel's armies. And so the, 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 the counselor to the king of Syria said, Listen here, the reason why that they're victorious over this is because Israel's God is the God of the hills. So instead of us fighting them in the hills, let's fight them in the plains. So Syria did that, and guess what happened? They lost anyway. Because Jehovah God is the universal God. He is the sole living God. Jehovah guides the destinies of all nations. As we can go over into Isaiah chapter 40, I believe it is, where, where Isaiah, speaking for God, says, The nations are nothing more than a drop in the bucket. They're nothing. So Naaman had no hope in himself. Number two, Naaman had no hope in earthly sources, neither. He had no hope in kings. Sirius king, which we believe was Benadad II, he wrote Jehoram, who was Israel's king. And here's what he said, I'm going to send Naaman to you that you may recover him of his leprosy. And here is Jehoram's reactions to that. Am I a god to kill and to make alive? He seeks a quarrel with me. If I don't do this, then I'm going to give him the excuse to come and invade us again. That's what's going on in Jehoram's mind. The spiritual significance to this is you will not find a quarrel <laughs> with God. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. The Father hath made peace through the blood of His cross, meaning Christ's cross, by Him, by Christ, to reconcile all things unto Himself. Yesterday, I went over into Hebrews chapter 4, and I read this little nugget. Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace. Why can we come boldly unto the throne of grace? Because God has no quarrel with us. We won't find a quarrel with God. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Naaman sought everything except God except Jehovah God. Well, I read a little bit further in Hebrews, and in Hebrews chapter 13, I read another boldly over there. We may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You're not going to find a quarrel with God in the realm of salvation. God desires sinners to call upon Him. 
Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, Isaiah says again in, verse, in chapter number 15. Call ye upon him while he is near. He is not, he is not far away like the, like, like the God of, of, of the Philistines there on, there on the mount. When, when Elijah is telling them, look, your God may be on a trip. Maybe your God is asleep and you need to wake him up. Cry louder. That's not our God. Not only will we not find a quarrel with him, but he is right here. The whisper away. He's just a thought away. While he, while he may be found, call ye upon him while he is near. The Lord will have mercy upon him. He will abundantly pardon. Naaman had no hope in earthly sources. Neither did he have hope in riches. So kings couldn't help him, and neither could riches help him as well. Look, look in verse number 5. Here is what Naaman offered for his health. First of all, ten talents of silver. I did a little bit of research yesterday. A talent of silver is 75 and a half pounds. And Naaman had ten pounds with him, or ten talents with him. Seventy-five and a half talents or pounds times ten equals seven hundred and fifty-five pounds of silver. That's what Naaman had with him. I, I looked it up yesterday. Silver, as of yesterday, is worth eighteen dollars and forty-four. Cents an ounce. So 10, 10 talents, which is 755 pounds, that turns into 12,080 ounces times $18.40 an ounce. We come to 222,755 dollars. So if Naaman approached Elisha today, he would have had that amount in silver. Not only that, 6,000 pieces. Now if you're reading the King James translation, you'll see that that word pieces is italicized, meaning that they appropriately and correctly and rightly added it to, to complete. Many commentaries believe that that word pieces is actually referring to shekels, even though it's not in Hebrew. I'm going to use the word shekel to make a point. 6,000 shekels of gold. A shekel in this day and age was not a coin, it was a weight. And so he had 6,000 weights of gold with him. A shekel, Bible theologians and uh, researchers believe that a shekel weighs as much as 0.4 ounces. So if he had 6,000 shekels multiplied by 0.4 ounces, that comes to 2,400 ounces or 150 pounds. Yesterday, the value of gold was 1,700 
and seven dollars per ounce times two thousand four hundred ounces equals four million ninety-six thousand and eight hundred dollars. And that's what Nahum would have had with him had he approached Elisha today. Not only that, but he had ten changes of raiment. This was the finest, most luxurious material. Just out of grins and giggles, I went to my search engine yesterday and I typed in a, a, a phrase, I think it was, uh, the most expensive suit brands. And I came across an article, and here's one. <clears throat> I was looking at, at a particular movie star who is wearing a suit in the movie that he starred in, and it was a Brioni Vanquish suit. And the suit that he was wearing in that scene cost $43,000. Tom Ford.
source of our salvation. Not only is He the source, He is the person. He is the embodiment of our salvation. Peter says, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. He had no hope in religions neither. He says, how about if I just go to Abana and Farpar, which are in Damascus. Aren't these better than Jordan? Have you ever seen Jordan pictures? Lots of them. I looked at a bunch yesterday. Jordan River is, is a, is a no-account river, really. It's a dirty river. It's a muddy river. And, and, and it, it, it terminates in the Dead Sea. So why should I, as Naaman, want to go wash in Jordan when I can go to Abana and Far Rivers? Possibly one of, the, one of the greatest scenes, I still have it in my own mind, is, is, is looking at Greenbrier River that flows through a good portion of West Virginia. Beautiful river, just as clear as it can be. Then I compare that with what the Red River looks like whenever I cross the bridge over into Oklahoma. Well, Jordan is a muddy river, but guess what? It's God's way. God makes the rules. Listen to what John's vision was. In Revelation chapter 22, he says, He, the angel, showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne. Your Holy Spirit conviction before you realize the salvation of, of, of God through Lord Jesus Christ. And that is that all of us want to experience that heavenly river without treading Jordan. The preaching of the cross is foolishness. Naaman says, hey, it's foolishness to go tread into Jordan and dip myself in, in, in Jordan seven times. No. I'm going somewhere else. And that's exactly what we tell Lord Jesus Christ under Holy Spirit conviction. You know, there's a better way. So Naaman had no hope in all of these things. But the so Naaman did have some hope. Can we look at the, at, at the hope of Naaman's cleansing? Naaman's only hope was, number one, a, a godly witness. Listen, Mamas and daddies, if you have young boys and girls, young children that are in your household today, I cannot overemphasize the importance of, 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 the, of the daily, continuous responsibility that you have in training your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And evidently, there was a little maid who was captured who is now the servant of Naaman's wife. And for whatever reason, her daddy and mama taught her the things of God. And she realized that, that Elijah was, a man, was, a, was, a, was a, a man of God. And because of that, she was able to witness to Naaman's wife. Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria. For he would recover him of his leprosy. And that is exactly why mamas and daddies need to, need to teach their children. I remember on a daily basis whenever I was growing up, 
that before we went out to, went to school, that daddy and mama gathered all of us six children in, in front of them. I remember on, on year after year sitting cross-legged with my brothers and sisters while daddy took out his Bible. And he would turn to a portion in that Bible and he would read to us. And he would expound upon that portion of Scripture that he was reading. And he would ask us questions and he would expect our answers. That's what daddies and mamas need to do today. So that maybe like this little maid found herself in, but she was still a witness for Jehovah God. We are responsible to witness of Christ's salvation. How shall they, the unbelieving, how shall they believe on Him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? I'm not talking about a type of preacher that is in our neighbor. We still may be the only person of whom they will hear about Lord Jesus Christ. All, all the Naaman required, or all the God required of Naaman was a simple act of faith. Go and wash in Jordan seven times. Well, guess what? Jehovah God is telling us right, right now, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I'm telling you, as simple as salvation is, God requires His way. God makes the rules. And, and Naaman did that, and guess what? Here is, here is Naaman's conclusion. Now I know there is, there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. And ever since the moment that I realized that I was saved, that Jesus Christ saved me through His blood that He shed on Calvary's cross, I, I, I have given no one the credit but my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. I like what William Capper uh, wrote over there. He says, There is a fountain drawn from Daniel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Naaman plunged himself in the waters of muddy Jordan and came out clean. Lord Jesus Christ plunges us in the blood of of his veins in order for us to have salvation. Heavenly Father, we do not deserve the very least of your mercies, and yet you are a God that has promised us salvation. You saved us in the past. You are saving us even today, and we look forward to that ultimate salvation whenever you call us home to forever be with you in the Lord. Heavenly Father, may we, may we respond appropriately to this invitation. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.